I'm Katie Hacker. My guest today is Tracy Matthews. Tracy is a jewelry designer, entrepreneur, and chief visionary officer of Flourish and Thrive Academy. She's also the host of Thrive by Design podcast, and her new book is The Desired Brand Effect. Today, we pack a lot into this episode, including practical advice you can apply to your jewelry business right now. Tracy, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I know that your own podcast is up to almost a million downloads. That's amazing. Welcome. Yes. Thank you so much, Katie. Thanks for having me. I am stoked to be here talking to you. It's been a long time. It has been a while and now we're in the same great state. So we're going to have to get together soon. We definitely are. Maybe we can catch up in Tucson. I would love that. Yeah, for sure. I'm planning to go down to the gem shows. Amazing. Cool. Well, your new book, The Desired Brand Effect. Tell us, how did this transpire? What made you want to write a book? That's a great question. So for many, many years, I've been mentoring and supporting jewelry artists over at Flourish and Thrive Academy. And I wanted a way to basically communicate and dial in the methodology that I'd been teaching for years that I use in my own business to solve problems that is also helping other artists use to solve the problems that they were experiencing in their business. So I actually started writing the book about three years ago and put it on pause and then COVID hit and all the things happened. So we finally have it to market now. And I'm so glad I waited because it's evolved so much since that point. But essentially, this book was really designed to help people who are building a creative business, in particular in the jewelry industry. But if you also are selling another physical product, it's a a great resource for that too. To help you identify, like if you're having slow sales, like how do you solve that problem? If you're getting burned out and overwhelmed, what are some of the things that you can do to get back into flow? If you're, you know, experiencing like a business backslide or some things are happening that you feel like you're not kind of making the traction that you want, we have some basically ways to take a look at those problems that you might be having in your business to help solve them. Well, and pivot has become such a big word these days, and you are Mm -hmm. way ahead of the curve, you know, changing (laughs) your business many times, but all within the jewelry realm. So talk a little bit about what does it feel like to go from designing jewelry in your New York City apartment to now living in Scottsdale, Arizona, and teaching other jewelers how to build their businesses? So... Yeah, I just I started out in the industry as a jewelry designer. I had a business where I was shipping thousands of units a month to retailers. And in 2008, my business, basically the short version of the story, which if you want to read the full version and understand why this is important. In 2008, my business got wiped out uh, by the Great Recession. There were a lot of factors contributing to that, including the commodities market rising, the stock market crashing, a bunch of retailers taking uh inventory of my products without paying. And it put me in this trajectory of in essentially like a downward spiral that I couldn't recover from. And I had to make a really tough decision at that time. Do I continue with this business or do I do something different? And so when I was faced with that choice, I got really clear on what mattered most to me um, in my life. And the desire brand effect is really basically built around this philosophy. Like it's really important that as you're starting a company, regardless of the type of company that you're starting, that you get really clear on what you want your life to look like first. And I basically realized I was very unhappy. I was working all the time. I was stressed out. I was burned out. My business was not 
nearly as profitable as it should have been based on where I was. And it just wasn't serving me anymore. So when I was faced with the decision to fight for the company to try and save it or do something different, I chose the latter. And I closed that business, filed for bankruptcy. I did start a new jewelry company that was more aligned with the direction I was going, you know, in my life at that time. And uh, I, by doing that and doing that by really aligning what mattered most to me at that time, my business grew really quickly, the new business. And it became one of the most profitable businesses um, up until that point that I'd ever owned. And I realized that you can do the things that you love to do. You can be fully aligned with your creative talents and your gifts. You can get your products out in the market in the way that serves you most and make really good money doing it. And I had this passion and the idea to go out and show others how I did it. And so that's when Flourish and Thrive Academy was found. And throughout that process of basically having to pivot and change my business model, uh, the Desire Brand Effect was born. And we're going to talk more about the book in a moment. And that led me down this path of coaching and consulting because I had a lot of uh, jewelry artists reaching out to me because at that point, I had been pretty well known. I was featured in the press a lot and in a lot of stores. And people were reaching out asking if they could pick my brain. And so you can only do that so much. People only have so many hours in the day. And I was like, all right, well, I can coach you if you want. And so I started coaching some students. That turned into a full business, coaching, consulting, creating courses for jewelry designers and, uh, you know, the rest is history. Desire Brand Effect is here. And uh, the next pivot that I made was actually moving from New York City to Arizona, which was... It's a big one. Not something I really expected to do. I mean, I remember when you moved to Arizona and you're like, yeah, I'm like move up with my family and moving to Prescott. That's right. And I never thought I would live in Arizona. It wasn't a place that I was necessarily drawn to. But I met my partner, Jason in New York City. And uh, I came out here for two weeks and ended up staying for five months. <laughs> and that turned into now almost two years, which has been awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, yeah. and it's such a different... I think you know we've talked a lot on this podcast about jewelers love to teach other people how to make jewelry a lot yes. of times because it's, we're so passionate about what we do. So when people are interested, we really want to share. you know. And I, I love that you've taken your business into this direction of really sharing everything you know about how to be successful. And I think a lot of people would consider selling to anthropology and places like you are selling to the height of success. And for you yes. to actually say, hold on a second, <laughs> this isn't the life <laughs> I want. <laughs> this isn't going to work, you know. It's interesting. It is interesting. And it's a big change. Yeah. And I think people can relate a lot to big change right now. And, you know, it's the beginning of the year. We're all looking to what can we do this year in our businesses mm -hmm. to, you know, see more success. And I know you have a lot of tips for that. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is um, something that really stood out to me but in your book is the maker mindset versus visionary yes. leadership. And mm -hmm. that really, really rang true with me because I thought one time I heard that we should always be preparing our businesses as if we were going to sell them. Yes. And oh my gosh, I think I had been in business for almost 10 years before I heard that. <laughs> <You know> <laughs> How I would have done things differently if I had known that first. So talk a little bit about that maker mindset versus visionary leadership. I, this is a really important concept that I think every artist needs to grasp, regardless if you're a jeweler, if you're you know, painting, like whatever it is. 
If you want to make money from your art, you have to approach your art like you're running a business. And the problem is, is that a lot of times when people are good at doing something like painting or making jewelry or designing handbags, like whatever it might be, they get so engrossed in that talent that they want to start a business out of it. So they start, um, a pr- they start a business, they start selling their products, and then they find that they're like digging a hole for themselves. They start losing their passion for what they've created and it becomes a vicious circle. So this concept came to me because about eight years into my first company, Tracy Matthews Designs, I hired a, I had moved to New York City from San Francisco and I'd hired this bookkeeper who came in. He was, or accountant, I can't remember, bookkeeper, accountant, something like that. And he's like, you know, I really think you should read this book <laughs> called uh, The E-Myth Revisited. And I was like, that's kind of insulting. You're telling me, he's like, you know, you're, you're having an entrepreneurial seizure right now. And I felt really insulted because he was basically telling me like, you aren't running your business like a business. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I just landed like a $70,000 order with QVC. I just shipped a $100,000 order to Anthropology. Like, I think I know a thing or two about business, duh. But I really had created a job for myself instead of built a business. And I didn't realize that. And when people... Uh, and that's basically the the crux of the E-Myth Revisited. I highly recommend it to people. And I mention it in The Desire Brand Effect. But that was sort of the crux of me kind of exploring, like, what's the difference between approaching your business like a maker versus approaching your business like a leader? And I call it visionary leadership because... When we were developing one of the programs that we used to have over at Flourish and Thrive Academy, it was called Multiply Your Profits. Uh, I knew that creative types didn't really resonate with the term CEO, Chief Executive Officer. So I was like, well, what would they resonate with? And I was like, you know, to think of myself as a creative person and a visionary, like someone who's coming up with new ideas and putting myself out there. So that's sort of when I started to create this distinction. And that whole chapter is actually, it's refined, but it was pulled from that from that program because, um, you know, people who are operate out of maker mindset, they're not really strategic about how they're growing their business. They're more reactive. And what I mean by that is that they, you know, they're not being uh, strategic about how they're planning maybe for their sales or for their, or for their marketing. They might not be strategic about how they're pricing their product. You know, I had, uh, someone reach out to me, ask, asking to consult for them. And this person has a very successful business. They sell fine jewelry, they're doing about half a million dollars in revenue right now. And I looked at her pricing structure and I'm like, how did you come up with this? Like, you're going to go broke really soon if you don't change something. Because she, her markup was so low because she was trying to cater to what the retailers wanted instead of thinking, how can I strategically approach this to get the pricing right for what the market wants? And so... Well, it, it becomes about sustainability in a way, right? Yes. Yes. And there's a lot of factors in this. So I'm, I'm not going to give it all away because that would take a long time and basically share the whole no, first we chapter want to read of the, the book, book. <laughs> but it's, yeah, but it's really about just being as taking a strategic approach to growing your business and thinking through like, why am I doing this? Like, how do I want to show up and how can I basically protect my creativity in the best way so that I'm preserved as the founder of the company while also um, being able to sell my beautiful products. And there's a lot of different paths to doing this and showing up as a visionary leader versus a maker. And I just want to say one more thing about this before uh, we move on. For a lot of people have really misunderstood what I mean by this. I'm not suggesting that people stop making jewelry, which is what I feel like a lot of people think when they um, hear me talk about this topic. 
I do suggest that if you're growing your business and you are the primary maker of your goods, that you might think of another way that if you really wanted to grow or scale to get out of the making process for the production of the pieces. Because I do think that from your creative genius, you need to be designing and developing your initial product lines. But there is a distinction between that. I'm not asking people to stop being the maker of their products. What I'm telling telling you or sharing with you is just maybe a different, more strategic approach to running a business, which requires you to be the leader of your company. Otherwise, you're just going to keep digging holes for yourself. And it will be challenging. And you'll say things to yourself like, this is impossible to grow a jewelry company, or it's really hard to make money doing this. And I, w- I would really encourage anyone who has those types of thoughts coming into their head is to read the book and to think about how you're showing up for your business and what can you shift to position yourself in a better spot so that you can grow. I think that's great advice. And yeah, it makes sense to me Thank too you. to um, look at... It's a mind shift. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's looking at things in a new way, reframing. And I know that's something that you talk about in um, The Desired Brand Effect too is reframing basically the, even the concept like you said of making money doing art is difficult mm-hmm. so how exactly. do you change that to to the next phase of where you want to go with your business how do you look at that phrase right i think mindset is one of the most important factors in the growth of a company and for a founder to always be working on because Here's the thing. We are born into this life. We have parents that, you know, I mean, depending on what you believe, you technically didn't choose and you're coming into the world and they come to the table with their own confirmation bias or belief systems that they have about the world and a different worldview. You know, it's like, if you think about all the different types of people in this world, there's so many different belief systems that we're operating out of. And what makes one person just easily attract money into their life as an artist versus another person struggle forever. And that has a lot to do, not just with talent necessarily. Talent's important, but it has more to do with your beliefs about yourself and what you think is possible. And so if you're operating out of a mindset or a mentality, or you're telling yourself stories because of the experiences that you've had, and you're creating this belief system around that, then, and it's not necessarily serving you to uh, reach your next level or whatever that might be, then you need to take a look at that on an ongoing basis. Because if you don't, it's going to keep you stuck. And I think that's really important. So we're always talking about and coaching our members, the members of our programs. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to mindset here in the Desire Brand Effect as well on how to overcome the internal hurdles that you're experiencing, because it's such a huge, huge factor in your ability to grow a company. Definitely. I appreciated. Um, I feel like a lot of things like, like life, a lot of things point mm-hmm. in the same direction sometimes. Yes. I'm also reading a book by Glennon Doyle right now. Yes. And I don't know if you're familiar with her, but part of what she says is, um, you know, you're, you're a cheetah. <laughs> like, believe it. You just are. Yep. And then go with that. And so when I was reading your book and thinking about, you know, I think that is true. A lot of people think, well, I'm going to price the jewelry to to where I think people can afford to buy it. And something you say is, okay, let's not do that because there is someone to buy what you're making. You need to find that person. Yeah. That's true. So how do we get into, um, you know, 
that is a mind shift in and of itself. Just thinking, just totally reframing what you, what you have thought to this point, what you've been taught. Maybe a lot of us, I think, have been told that, um, you know, you can't really make a living doing art. And that's just, just not, not true. Not true. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. It's funny. I had this when, after my first business, after I closed my first business and I was kind of like restarting and getting, regaining confidence, I started working with a business coach and I was struggling because I had this client come to me who just really didn't value what I was doing. And they nickeled and dimed me for every penny. I was designing an engagement ring for them and it was really frustrating. And so, I got on the phone with this coach and she's like, what do you want? And I was like, I want to sell jewelry to rich people. And she's like, I think you should claim that. (laughs) And it was funny because it's not something that it was an internal mantra that I used for a long time. It's not something that you would necessarily like say out into the world, but like just declaring that or making that statement to me, what that meant was that it changed the internal dialogue that I had that people weren't willing or didn't value what I was putting out there in the world. And it's not about overcharging people or just being exorbitant in your pricing. It's about attracting and connecting with the people who value what you do and understand that this is art that you're creating. And, you know, there is a price that the market will bear. I would never tell someone to just like randomly overcharge for things because that's not going to serve you either because you probably won't sell a lot of product. But at the end of the day, it's like finding that right balance of like, uh, originality, brand positioning, and how you're putting yourself out there, how all these things come together to create the perceived value for your piece that allows you to charge the right pi- the right prices so that people, the right people, will actually be attracted to your brand. It's hard because there's not just one thing you do to attract the right person. No. It's that handful, mm-hmm. dozen, 2,400 things that you just, yep. you know, pointed to. This is true that it takes to find your perfect client. That's true. It's a lot. No, it's going to just kind of talk about that a little bit. I think, you know, when I, I was on QVC, I mentioned earlier in 2006 and seven, uh, they placed an order. I thought it was going to be the day that was going to make my business and turn me into a household name. It actually was the thing that broke my business and like started me on a downward spiral, which is in- an interesting conversation and a separate conversation. But also, like, be careful what you wish for, right? So when I was invited to be on QVC to sell my product and they placed this massive order, I we had to go through a sales training. And I'd been in business for a long time at that point. And there were a bunch of people in the room. They were asking, like, why are people buying your products? And so people started raising their hands. We were in the, the jewelry training or whatever. And I was like, oh, because it's lightweight or it feels good or because of the way it looks. And they're like... I kept getting shut down. I'm like, how did I get this far in business and have like a company that was doing so well, like and keep getting shut down. And they're like, that is not why they're buying it. They're buying it because of the way it makes them feel. Maybe they feel flirty wearing your products, or maybe they feel confident because they're wearing a bold statement piece, or maybe it's that that it gives them a feeling of status or like they've made it because they're wearing something that's a really luxurious item. And there's so many reasons why people buy jewelry. A lot of a lot of people talk about jewelry with meaning, like what is the sentimental value of the piece, and like what is that? What kind of energy is it bringing you to you? So, it goes way beyond just the physical product. And I know the members of my community know this, but a lot of people still are trying to sell on features instead of selling on the benefits or how something makes them feel. 
And it's funny because you can be at a very advanced stage in business, which I thought I was so established at that point, and literally have your mind blown thinking like, oh, shoot, I don't know anything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, and one step forward, two steps back or however that exactly. goes. Exactly. I know. Yeah. Do you think when you say um, selling on the features versus the benefits, I just want to go back to that for a sec. Do you mean, for example, saying that a necklace is made of 24 karat or something instead of saying yeah. this necklace, I don't know what, well, will transport you to the seashore, yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, like, an easy example that I think of is, you know, the bridal industry. You know, I design engagement rings, so it's an easy industry for me to talk about or heirloom redesign, something like that. But in the bridal industry, you think, you know, there's a lot of competition out there and there's a lot, like some people want to get something that is super flashy and bling, blingy that brings them status. In fact, I was talking with a potential client uh, a while back. All he really cared about is getting his girlfriend a four carat diamond. Cause that was specifically what she wanted. They didn't really care about the, the setting Design. or something. And yeah. And the reason I think that they wanted that is because it would make her feel like she was important and had status. So um, the feature is, you know, like here's an engagement ring or, or the materials or whatever it is. But the benefit is really like this is going to give her positioning or status, right? This has a lot of flash. People will notice yeah. this. Like the reason why someone would come to me to design jewelry and the reason why it didn't work out with me and this guy is because he was just looking for a good deal on a diamond. That's not what I do. What I do is I design a piece that is specific for that person that only they're ever going to have. Like it's not something that anyone else is going to have. And so when people come to me to design a piece of jewelry, um, in particular for bridal, it's because they want something that has unique meaning tied into it that really pulls out their personality. That's something that only that they will have. And when you think of the importance of an engagement ring, that's the first thing, like when a new couple gets engaged that people for the most part, like actually look at, right. They're like, Oh, let me see the ring. That's the first thing they say. It's, you know, it's the visible part yeah. of an engagement. Yeah. And so I think that when I was designing my first collection or my first brand, I should say Tracy Matthews designs, you know, some of the features that I probably would have talked about were like, it's handmade out of sterling silver. It's lightweight, semi-precious stones. Like those are like the features, the benefits are that, I don't know, like if I was going into that healing gemstone thing, like the gemstones have properties that, you know, might, you know, you can't make claims like that, but that might transport you to something else. Or I was designing to, um, a lot of things that were really inspired by the places that I traveled in the East. So, there was, I would assign them names based on the, the yoga practice that I had at the time. And, you know, that those names really like represented like the internal meaning of the piece. So they were a symbol of that. So there's like a lot of different ways that you can approach this, but it's really about how, how, how your jewelry or how your product or how, um, whatever it is that you're selling kind of takes it to another level. And it's not necessarily like, it's like you wouldn't buy an oil painting just because like, you know, it's made with a certain kind of like oil paints. It's really like right. about how the experience someone has when they're viewing that piece of art. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes it can be difficult to tap into that for your own work. Sometimes, you know, it can be you sometimes find out what you're representing to people by what they say about your work. Exactly. And it's important to survey your customers or ask them 
you know, questions about that stuff too. Yeah, that's a good way to kind of get into it, you know, is mm-hmm. what you're looking for. And and that then is, of course, going to influence the rest of your branding and everything about the jewelry that you make. Do you think that um, for 2022, what resolution would you recommend for jewelry makers? A resolution? If people, I mean, I know it's hard to pick one. Maybe you can pick a couple. You mean like an intention for the new year? Something yeah, that they could do? Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I, I like to start off the new year and in my podcast, Thrive by Design, I often do like at the beginning of the year, like a word of the year episode. And so I always tell people to just take a look inside, like what is it that you or your business needs right now? And then pick one word and then make that the theme of the year. So uh, for many years for me, it was support because I was hiring a team and uh, trying to grow my companies in tandem, right? Uh, For other people, it might be um, growth because they're trying to get exposure out there. For some people, it might be structure because they're trying to get organized or create less chaos in their business. So that would be my little piece of advice. Like if you're trying to really dial in something and grow quickly, you could just figure out like, what is, what is it that I need most right now and dial that down into one word and then use that as your theme of the year. Just tape it up on the wall and refer to it all year long. Refer to it often. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes at the beginning of the year, people are thinking about business plans and the structure, like the word Mm -hmm. structure kind of struck fear in my heart a little bit because I think I resist <laughs> creating a lot of structure. I know. But once I, I do know. it, I I realize how beneficial it is. So do you have any advice for artist types that um, resist the words like structure and business and planning? Oh my gosh. This is such a good, good, <laughs> this is such a great question. And I want to make sure that people really hear it. And I want to start by sharing a story. When, so I co-founded Flourish and Thrive Academy at, with my friend, Robin Kramer, She's off doing her own thing now, um, helping people sell wholesale. But in the beginning, we would do these things called 90-minute power hours. And someone reached out to us and they're like, I really want to help with my business. I'm all over the place, blah, 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 blah. And this person was a unique person because she had uh, money coming in either from her husband or maybe money that she just had or previous job or whatever it was. She didn't really need the money from her business where most of the people that we mentor, they actually need the money from their business to live. <laughs> and that's what we support them in doing. And I, we told her, you know, you really need to create some structure around what you're doing. You are all over the place. And until you do that, like nothing's going to really change. And she was like fighting tooth and nail with us. Like I'm a creative, the whole reason why I'm creative and I have this business is so I don't have to have structure. I just want to show up and see what the day brings me. And what I would tell anyone who's approaching their business like that is that you're just going to get more of the same because when you don't have structure and you don't create the structure for yourself, what ends up happening is that it just ends up being chaos. And so for me and for everything that I teach, one of the most important foundational things that we teach in business at Flourish and Thrive Academy is number one, having a plan. So I'm not really a fan of creating these massive like business plans that are 30 pages. I don't, I think they're a waste of time, but you can create just a simple plan for the year. And that would just include your goals, your key initiatives, uh, what you're trying to create and, you know, anything important that you want to do throughout that year. And then I would recommend breaking that bigger plan out into 90 day strategic plans. 
the 90-day strategic plans are really where the gold is because that's where you're going to actually see work getting done. And I recommend that people break those strategic plans up into three core initiatives. I recommend that one of them always be focused around revenue generation because if you're trying to run a business, you need money to run the business because that is the lifeblood of your business. And that's what keeps the business going and allows you to um, invest in new inventory, to invest in marketing. And and eventually when you're at a certain size, maybe get support or help that you need for the business. Um, So those, those are two things that I would recommend. And then structure, taking it to another level, I think what's really important is that you learn to be structured with how you're approaching business. And that might mean, you know, creating a plan for your week, having themed days for the days that you work during the week. So uh, for me, my days are always structured like Tuesdays and Thursdays are my days that I do um, calls with my teams. I have meetings. Those are the when I um, oftentimes have aligning with new business partners or whatever it might be. So those are like call days. The other days are broken up into what I'm trying to create. So Wednesday's my creative day. This is usually when I'm creating content or thinking about strategy or developing new things or designing jewelry. Mondays are like, you know, this is what I'm doing to plan for the week or I have to do a lot of copywriting. And then Fridays are, are, are oftentimes like a recap day or a free-for-all. So you can do whatever you want with your weekly days, but having that structure in the week actually allows your brain to relax a little bit and makes you a lot more effective. It's proven that when you are constantly context switching, which means you're just switching between modalities or things that you're trying to do during the day. So if you're trying to force creativity in the middle of like business planning meetings, you're not going to really get into your creative flow during that time. And so it's really important that you have enough space for the creativity. And also the same thing goes with the business part of it. Like if you're trying to focus on business side and you're using the left side of your brain or the right side of your brain right before you're going into a left-brained activity, it becomes hard to really get into the flow. And so it becomes super painful. So what we're trying to do is actually just to make your life easier by creating structure in your workday so that you can have a better, bigger impact and get more done so that you can eventually ultimately make more money and be happier because you're kind of aligned with what you're trying to do in your business. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I think switching back and forth is really hard. And I try to bundle activities too. Yeah. Um, and thinking about the right line, right brain, left brain, and getting into the flow. I think the whole mm-hmm. deal with making jewelry for me is getting into the flow. So I want yes. to spend as much time in the flow as possible. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. And then the rest exactly. of it is kind of the part that I have to do to spend the time in the flow. And so I think, you know, thinking about the rewards of being in that state and besides increasing your business, which is a big one, because we'd all like to, I think, make more money doing what we love, you know? So there's that, but there's also just the state of being in there of making yes, or vision or envisioning or whatever the task is, but spending more of that, more of that feeling that we're going for. Do you think that um, you mentioned yoga earlier? Do you think that having a practice helps your business? I do. I think any sort of mindfulness practice, you know, my yoga practice has changed over the years. I would say it's more of a embodiment practice now where it's a, just a combination of movement and mindfulness to be aware. Any 
introspection that you can do. And yoga as a physical modality is really helpful because there's mindfulness kind of baked in. You know, it's like you're getting in touch with like the mind, body, spirit and and integrating it and bringing it all together. But with that, that could mean just straight up meditation. It could mean like your yoga could be going for a run. Your yoga could be, you know, the meditative process even of making jewelry. But I think more than anything, it's really about giving your mind, body, and spirit the space and time that it needs to integrate so that you can move forward. And I am a huge believer in moving your body every single day because here's the thing. Running a business is super stressful, especially as you continue to grow. And there's for people at different stages in business, the stress is going to be for different reasons, you know. And the more you can alchemize that stress and get it out of your body or get it moving, the better prepared you are to deal with it and handle it as it comes up in the future. So I always recommend doing something along those lines, whether it's yoga, meditation, taking a run, doing some sort of physical activity, it will be helpful. Yeah, I agree. I think when our, you know, when your cup is already really running over, you know, mm-hmm. you got to get exactly. that levels down a little bit because so, it's definitely going to happen again. Well, Tracy, in addition to being an amazing jewelry maker, podcast host, the author of The Desired Brand Effect, mm-hmm. leader at Flourish and Thrive, I could go on for five more minutes. But I think everyone needs to know that you are also excellent karaoke and songstress. So are there any song lyrics that especially are inspiring you these days? Oh, geez. Well, Let's see. I love singing karaoke and I would say that my go-to song still is and has been for a long time is Bad Romance by Lady Gaga because I just like to belt out a good like female empowerment song. <laughs> I don't know if, if Bad Romance is really like, you know, a female empowerment song, but it's it's just a fun song to sing and you can sing loud and have a blast, but you know, it's that to me is a creative outlet and it's just fun. You know, Life should be fun, right? You know, we need more experiences like that. That's right. We're talking about a lot of serious stuff here, but I love hearing about the fun side too. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Tracy. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been great to be here. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to Jewelry Artist and connect with us on social media. Interweave.com slash Jewelry Artist Podcast. Jewelry Artist is a production of Interweave and Golden Peak Media. It's hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker, with help from Tamara Hanneman and Tammy Jones. Our audio producer is Daisha Clay, and our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.